we have been commissioned by Jesus to do this and um, to go forward. And Matthew 28, 19 is known as the Great Commission verse. As you know it, it says, there, therefore go and make what? Disciples, right, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's really what we do is we bring people into the tank in just a few moments and we get ready to baptize them. And we say, you know, based upon your public confession in Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been commissioned to do this, and it's so exciting as we partner that we realize as a disciple, at at the basic terminology, it means a follower, and we're talking about a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. The, The disciples take up this commission that Jesus gave them throughout the Gospels, and then you have Peter get up in Acts chapter 2, the very early New Testament church, he's talking to the people of Jerusalem, and he pulls no punches at all. And people who had cheered on the crucifixion of Jesus, he stands up before them, verse 37 and 38. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They realized at this moment that they're the ones that put Jesus on the cross, and they're saying, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent, repent, which means come clean, acknowledge before God your brokenness, your sinfulness, acknowledge before God your guilt and your shame, repent and be baptized. Now, I want you to just understand just a moment that baptism carried the highest cost of any they would ever take. It represents the highest cost in a person's life that has come to Christ as they go to the next step of water baptism. This was a statement of a brand new identity. That's what they're about ready to get into. It meant this in that day. It meant ostracism from their old way of life. To choose baptism was to say, I commit my identity, my possessions, my life to Jesus and this new community. I am all in. I, am, I have decided to go all in for Jesus. That's what this meant. When I, when I look at uh, our missionaries that we support here, uh, Rick and Elaine Caswell, and I see their picture, it, bring back, it brings back memories two years ago uh, when we were with them in, in Africa as we were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them and partnering with them that Rick shared with us as a team that you have to understand something for those in this country where predominantly they believe in Islam, that you have to realize that when they, they say yes to Jesus, they're saying no to their families. They are stepping across the line and they have said yes to Jesus, they are saying no to their family. That is at that point that they have to leave home. That's a big decision. That's a massive decision for them. And you have to realize in the New Testament, this is what was going on, that there was a new identity that they were stepping into, that I have decided to go all in with this. And I want to just give you kind of a couple of quick insights uh, on what it means to follow Jesus so that we're all on the same pages. Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. How many of you know that? Everyone. No matter what you've done, what you haven't done, how much church you had or didn't have or whatever, that, that it is the beginning part to following him. It is part of the process. Also, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus wants to have a relationship with every bit of humanity. It's not an invitation to a list or a set of lists. It's a personal invitation to an invisible God who revealed himself through Jesus Christ, his only son. 
being a sinner is an absolute precondition, so all of us are in that same boat. There's a precondition to following Jesus, a sinner. And that, so if you think, you know, I can't follow Christ, you don't even know what I've done. Everybody that followed Jesus in the first century were all sinners, and some were notorious kinds of sinners. And best of all, having doubts is a part of following Jesus. Having doubts. Even those who were with him in the first century who hang out, hung out with him, they had doubts even up to the very end. Some of them did. So you can bring your doubts and you can follow Jesus. And a great thing that you've just heard about, we talked about last week, is our Alpha class that's happening at our 9 a.m. service uh, in, our, in our education wing, that you can come and bring your doubts and your questions, no matter if you just came to Christ or you followed Christ for a long time. But our goal, and God's goal in all of this, is to have an overwhelming faith, specifically faith that overwhelms fear. Jesus said over and over again to his disciples, why are you afraid? Well, our boat, you know, Jesus, you mean you don't see this? Our boat is sinking. Well, I know your boat is sinking, but why are you afraid? And Jesus leads us to a confidence in God that allows us to overcome in every kind of circumstance. Eventually, though, I want you to know this, following Jesus will cost you something. But don't fear. It is in that moment when you will discover whose you are. And you have to know that great followers turn out to be great leaders. Great followers turn out to be great leaders. And so there's no greater church to use than the first church in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 41, where it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, I would call that a pretty big church for the opening service. How about you? That's a big church. So they didn't have a chance to get together a program or get together a, a chance to have a professionally trained staff, hadn't taught people even how to give, no formal evangelism training, but they were full of the Holy Spirit. So God entrusted into that church 3,000 baby Christians. Now, you talk about straining. That was a strain. And I want you to look at, we're going to look at the end, and then we're coming and talk about some things sandwiched in between. The Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now, you're talking about church growth here. If uh, we were there, we might say, oh, my goodness, Lord Jesus, stop all of this. We don't, we don't even have the systems to handle all of these baby Christians coming to, to you. And so what I want you to do is, what's my point? We have to look at this, that every believer in Christ was born to reproduce. I want you to get that. God brought the church into existence, and the very purpose of the church is for reduplication. Guess what? God saved you so that you and I could reproduce. Uh, do you know that you're only alive today because your ability to reproduce? Obviously, you're here because your father and mother, you know, thank God for them, right? That they, they had the, the ability to reproduce, and here we are. As you sit here, you're only here because you're able to reproduce. See, all the time, your cells are reproducing themselves. So even right now, we're shedding skin while we're sitting in the seats. When you leave here, you're going to leave a lot of skin behind because our cells just keep reproducing and reproducing and reproducing, right? Your cells split. And new cells replace them. Don't worry, we'll vacuum them up. It's fine. You and I are here today because there is a perpetual reproduction that's happening in our lives. If reproduction ceases, you die. There must be a constant reduplication in order to have ongoing life. 
Things that are well, that are healthy, they grow and reproduce. It's the essence of sickness to not reproduce. Something is desperately wrong when any church or any believer stops reproducing. Whenever we stop giving birth to new babies, there's a problem. How many of you know that? Right? It is clear from Scripture they are saved one day and they keep getting saved after that. There was no long gap between the the time that one group came to Christ and the other group started being saved. You don't have to be a Christian 20 years to reproduce yourself. Right? It is immediate what happens. Well, you don't have to know everything. Well, nobody knows everything in Jesus Christ even after they come to the Lord. But it is through a process that you learn as we imitate Christ that we reproduce Jesus in other people. Why? Because God's agenda is reduplication. Notice at the end of verse 7, who added to their number? Who was it? The Lord. Notice who he added. Those were being saved. So you get saved, salvation. There's a come to Jesus moment. So the idea is men and women, people of all ages, boys and girls are coming to Jesus and are being reproduced. But in the church of Jesus Christ, we are to reduplicate who Jesus is in others and in ourselves. So what you have in verse 40 is, is, is the beginning of the, the church. And what you have in verse 47 is the ongoing nature of the church. 3,000 people the first day and many more the next day. And as you keep reading this early church of the book of Acts, you will see references like this. And many more were added to the church. And many more were added to the church over and over again through the book of Acts. Many more. So you look at this. Why was this church multiplying and individual believers reproducing? What made it such a dynamic ministry? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's what it says. They were devoted to the the apostles' teaching. They were committed to give their all. Their all was into it. And devotion amongst the many things means dedication. They They wanted to learn. They wanted to know who Jesus was. They wanted to know how to live a victorious Christian life. You cannot become what God wants you to be if you're unlearned spiritually in the long haul. How many of you are with me? Say yes. Nobody arrives at spiritual maturity by osmosis. Wouldn't that be great? But it doesn't happen. You do not wake up in the morning spiritual, right? You cannot find spirituality in the food that you eat. TV won't help you become more spiritual. Spirituality comes from a devotion, from learning the truth of God's word. There must be a learning devotion, an inner passion to learn the things that God wants us to know and what he wants me to become. The beauty is God uses messed up people. Amen? That's the beauty. Uh, Some have problems in here that God could solve rather quickly if you not only knew the word, but you applied the word of God as well. That you must know and apply to experience the fullness of who God is. Discipleship is a process of spiritual development for all of us. You've never seen a baby come out of a mama's womb and say, hi, mom. Right? No. Becoming a disciple has to do with development, not how long you've been a believer. How many of you with me on that one? So I wasn't great at math, but there's one thing I did get, and you got this as well. Rate multiplied by time equals distance. 
Rate multiplied by time equals distance. The rate at which you move in your spiritual life in the use of the time that you have been allotted will control the distance down the spiritual road you will travel. That's very applicable. So let me say that again. The rate at which you move in your spiritual life in the use of the time that you've been allotted will control the distance down the spiritual road that you travel and you can only control your only depth of spirituality yourself. They fellowship, they, they broke bread, they prayed. You, could, you, you hardly see worship in the New Testament without the breaking of bread and prayer. We see formal worship happen. We see informal worship happen. They gathered together with one mind and unity in, in the temple. God never intended for you and me to make it through this Christian life alone. And as we're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, that means non-church people took notice. Why, that, what's going on? What, has anybody looked at you and said, why are you so different? What's going on with you? You know, they may not be saying, hey, I like your Jesus, but they sure do like your work. This is when they multiplied. They took it from the church and, and went house to house, and they made it public. They became a mechanism through which God could reproduce through them. Do you know that God wants to reproduce you? And in that he wants to multiply us as a body? You know, you think a, a zillion years from now, you and I will be worshiping God in heaven continuously. You can, you can reduplicate that. Fellowship, we are going to have a party in heaven. Ain't no party like a Jesus party. And the good thing about it, there's no hangover afterwards, and you don't have munchies after the marijuana. Oh, my God, What? 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 Come on. No guilt partying. Fellowship. We're going to have a party in heaven. Nobody is going to be mad at anybody in heaven. Oh, I want to say so much right here, but I... Nobody's going to be mad at each other in heaven. It's not allowed. Right? It's not allowed. Okay? And, and so, and also, God's going to keep marriage fights to a minimum because there's no marriage in heaven. What? Fellowship will be perfect, pure, and eternal. In fact, the Bible says that you and I are going to be gathering around. This is the Bible. This is not what I'm saying. Around the river that flows out of the throne of God. We will be gathering around that river. And we will be rejoicing. And the Bible says, hey, listen, you're going to be able to eat any amount of food that heaven can provide and no fat rolls. I mean, that is going to be a good party. That's a good party. That is something to celebrate, right? My goodness, this is great. Understand that God has no limits. But there's one thing that will not be there, and that is telling people about Jesus. That is the only thing you will not be able to reduplicate in heaven. And that is why we have to do it now. Day by day, there was worship, fellowship, learning, growing. Day by day, verse 7, it keeps going on. It is so impactful. There was a direct correlation to their outreach based on their dynamic inreach inside. They were growing, so their outreach grew even more. By definition, a disciple someone who never stops learning. A true disciple makes the most of the 100 billion brain cells God's put on loan to us. 
A true disciple loves more because why? They know more. They're consumed with a holy curiosity. The disciples keep seeking and asking and knocking, and that's what we're called to do. Keep seeking, asking, and knocking in prayer. And the quest is never over because the questions never end. Discipleship is that progressive move toward maturity. How many of you know that we cannot stay an infant Christian forever? Right? The only persons and people happy about just getting milk for lunch today is our infants in the nursery. They're the only ones completely satisfied with getting milk. But for you and me, that does not satisfy us, right? That's only part and parcel of what's going on. We want something more, and most of you would say, bring on the meat and potatoes. I was born in the Midwest. Bring on the meat and the potatoes. If you're vegan, I'm sorry. You just lost out. Bring on the meat and potatoes, all right? All right? There's a progressive move towards maturity. God wants us to move towards spiritual maturity where we look like Christ. And discipleship is when people look at you and say, man, you look just like Jesus. And we are here to help others do the same. It's you get to the point where you can reproduce that process in someone else by reflecting the character of Jesus, living under his lordship, growing deeper in the knowledge of God. Every believer has been saved to be an influencer of another person. Every father that is here, you are a teacher for your family. Every mother, you're a teacher, you're a nurturer here for your family. And every believer here, we're a teacher and nurturer to a world that desperately needs Jesus and needs to be a disciple and a follower of him. Growth means discerning also right from wrong. You're discerning the right from wrong. An all-in first follower is a way paver, a true disciple, and a life sharer in Jesus. That a first follower chooses a way to go even when no one else is going to go there. The greatest compliment for a non-attending church person is what you're doing at that church has changed somebody's life that I saw. And you and I are a part of that. That means it has gone public now. Someone is all in in their faith. They're, 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 they're not ashamed to go for it. They're not ashamed to do it. It's gone out of the safety of the sanctuary because right now things are pretty safe here. But in the moment when the, after the water baptisms happen and the doors open, something's got to go out of the safety of the sanctuary and make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because it's left the sanctuary and the security of the chairs and it's gone in to the marketplace where you work, reproducing people in churches that flow out of their lives. And then Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes, you can't help it. When the Holy Spirit comes on the New Testament church, you and I can't help it. You can't stay quiet when God's presence comes on you. When we allow God to truly change us, it begins with our heart. We begin to reduplicate who Christ is in the everyday. When you live for Jesus, when you have a new identity, you literally feel different. Why? Because you feel what Christ feels. You feel what Jesus feels. And chief among those sanctified emotions is compassion that lasts weekend when people not only raised their hands, but keep, people came to this altar 
and, and they accepted Jesus and they connected with people right here at our church and we put a Bible in their hands, that at that moment, that never ever gets old to me. In that moment, my heart rejoices. Um, I, I just rejoice at that point. And some may look and say, oh, well, who knows if they're really a committed. Who cares? They accepted Jesus and they walked out of the comfort of their seat at that moment. And God gripped their heart. And there was a seed that was planted. And God did something good. That it's in that moment that a new identity came. That, it, that it's in that moment where God did something great. Don't ever get used to people coming to Jesus. Like, just take it for granted. That's why the church is here. That's why we're here doing the work of the ministry as you invited so many. And so you see this. He says, what should you have? He said, you know, in a world, you know, you're going to have a heart of stone. And, but Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Everybody's a follower of someone. Jesus knew that in the New Testament. He, he talked about it. He identified that. But you see, there was a man that came upon the scene in the New Testament. His name was John the Baptist. And you've probably heard of this before. He's many times called as the forerunner of Jesus that he went out before Jesus even came and said, hey, look, look, there's somebody. He's coming right after me. And his name is Jesus, and I'm not even fit to carry his sandals, but I'm coming out here, and I'm going to tell you about him, that this man, he is able to wash you and cleanse you and to give you a brand new identity. And then John did something that was never done before. He went down into the Jordan River, and he said, if you're ready to repent, I want you to come down in the water with me. And then he went on to describe what John was doing when he used this word baptize, that he was not washing off their dirt. No, you are becoming something different right now. That is water baptism. You are becoming something different at this point. You accepted Jesus on the inside, and now on the outside, you are identifying with a new master. And that comes at a cost. And John the Baptist knew that. You're becoming a follower of the way and the truth and the life. You are all in and you're telling everybody who you're living for. You're no longer content with standing on the riverbank and saying, I'm a follower. No, you come down here. You come down here and you receive water baptism. And he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And who I've been talking about, John said, is Jesus. And Jesus told John, I want you to baptize me. It's necessary that you do this. Why? Here's what Jesus knew, that his people watched and allowed John to baptize him and that he was identifying with the message of John the Baptist. Then Jesus' followers began to baptize others. At nine years of age, my, I, my father baptized me. You know, it's, that's one of them things that you just never forget. That, that my, I remember my dad, you know, being so honored to baptize me. My dad was a pastor in my life for so many years, but that my dad baptized me in water on that Sunday morning before the church. And I've had the privilege to baptize my three children. Why? Because my identity is in Jesus, and I'm called to reduplicate 
what Jesus has called me to do. And so have you. To reduplicate the message of Jesus Christ that it keeps going on and on and on.